Hey, well, guys, it's a, it's a tremendous privilege for us today to have some very good friends of ours, uh, Pastor Kevin and Margaret Pete, with us. Kevin Pete has been on the national leadership team uh, for several centuries. He um, uh, and he oversees he oversees in his role on the national leadership team in the UK more than double the churches we have in our entire nation. Uh, he's a man who's always carried an incredible heart for the Father heart of God and how that relates to pastors and leaders and people just like us. And once again, it's such an incredible privilege to have Pastor Kevin Pete with us today. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Pastor Kevin as he comes. Amen. Oh, wow. You've got one. Oh, bless you. Oh, that was great notices. In the, UK, in the UK, we'd probably cast demons out of him, but there you go. <laughs> You're so far ahead of the game. It's just an awesome privilege to be here. I think this is my, mine and Margaret's fourth time here. We were here three years ago. We were way back when Russell was the pastor, when James was the pastor, we've been here. And can I just tell you, I've never seen the church so full. It's just wonderful to see the growth that's happening. And it's just so brilliant that the city church, I had a city church in Glasgow for 16 years and I just loved all the challenges that come with a city church. And it's just brilliant to see what God is doing. And Mike very kindly said that I'm someone who's always carried the Father heart of God message. Not true. I had an epiphany when I was 40 years of age. And um, even this morning I walked in to discover that we'd sent the wrong notes. Um, if you want to, if you, those who've picked up the notes on facing your fears, come to Boyd's church at five o'clock and you'll hear that sermon. Right. And I was just thinking, it was my fault. We, 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 we'd, we'd arranged at the last minute to go to Boyd's and we got an email, would you send notes? And we just thought it was Boyd's church. So my mistake, but just thinking about it, really the whole thing I want to say, because if you've got your notes, you're in head mode. And I've got to tell you straight away that today I don't want to talk to your heads. This is not for your heads, this is for your heart. And I've got about 30 minutes and Mike asked me to speak this sermon. It was a new sermon a few months ago when Mike was in the UK, which I was addressing the Global Elim Conference. And I spoke about the orphan heart and the leader and how many leaders operate in their ministry out of a heart that really is the heart of an orphan and not really knowing God as father. And I said there, it's, it's why so many leaders fall and fail is because they're all to do with the front stage. You know, I watched your guitarist here. Did you see this? Did you see? It was like one of the rolling stones giving it loudy. You've got the bass every bass player is cool the bass players are just they just and then we lock the drummer away behind the cage just in case he comes out and and we've got people here doing this you see this is all front stage this is all front. what I'm doing now is front stage I'm trying to get your attention at the back those of you who are sleeping I'm trying to keep you awake for 30 minutes my challenge is this sermon was an hour long uh, when I spoke to the leader, so I've tried to half the sermon, so I'm doing very best to go speak quicker, I might get there. It would help if I put on the stopwatch, it is now on. Margaret, would you put that on for me? Because so I, 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 I'm told at 32 minutes this tank opens and piranha fish will eat me. So, but you see, backstage, 
We don't look at. If I go backstage, I'll find lots of wires tucked away here. And you see, we've all got a backstage. We've all got the bit that we are when no one sees us. You know, I'm 64 years of age, and I've done the always processing faith and always standing on the promises and always quoting, and it's all true, but if your backstage isn't right, you'll come a cropper. If you don't deal with these, if you don't deal with the backstage, the backstage will deal with your front stage. And it'll take you out as a Christian. And so um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning about the whole thing. Prior to 40, my whole life was front stage. I grew a church. From four, we went to Glasgow. It grew from 40 people to 400 in about four or five years. We were well known in our denomination. We were popular. I was doing the, the rounds in the churches talking about groups. And I was saying to Mike earlier, your connect group. We were doing something similar, similar, your four weeks, we, but we didn't do it, we didn't call it that, but it was the same thing. And we were ahead of the game, and people were said, you're great. But the trouble is, folks, I went home every Sunday night depressed. I went home every Sunday night feeling, all I ever saw were the empty churches, I never, chairs, I never saw the full churches. And I heard a psychiatrist, Dr. Grant Mullen, I'm quite excited, I'm out of breath. Thank you very much. I have 42, no I don't. <laughs> they don't work. And Dr. Grant Mullen says, is a, a Christian psychiatrist in Canada, says for most people the age of 40 is a key age. Just like opticians, opti opticians love you to hit 40. Because when you hit 40, for most people your eyes start to deteriorate. And uh, my optician, and sent me a birthday card when I hit 40. She was in my church and she said, be seeing you soon. Love, Audrey. And sure enough, the Gregory Pecks became part of life. But you see, the truth is, I, this Dr. Grant Mullen said, if you don't deal with your heart issues before you're 40, your heart issues will start to deal with you. And things like anxiety, fear, panic attacks, in sleepless nights. And here was I, and I didn't know this, I hit 40. And on the front stage, everything's working wonderful. But on the backstage, I was going home every Sunday night saying to Margaret, I don't know whether I can do this because I felt a hypocrite. Because my front stage was very good. And I was the smile, sparkle, be confident school of ministry. <laughs> but you know, when I went home, I think I'm a failure. I couldn't sleep. And I began to get anx anxious moments and fearful moments. And, and I felt like I was coming apart. And someone said, you must come apart before you come apart. And so when I was in my 40s, I went on a journey to discover that my heart was a typical orphan heart. And even though I've been a Christian since I was 14 years of age, I did not know that I was a son of God. I knew it theologically. I knew it doctrinally. I knew all of the verses. 
But I live my life as a slave and not a son. And you know, the world we live in, and obviously I can't, I've been here 10 times to New Zealand with, with my wife, but, but certainly in the UK, there is an epidemic of a lack of fathering. There is incredible, they say in the UK, nearly two out of three children wake up with someone other than their birth father every day, nowadays. And there are seven things, I'm just going to mention these in passing, seven issues of separation that cause this difference between us and our fathers and how we see God, because how we model our earthly fathers is often how we see God. And I was not comfortable with Abba. I wasn't comfortable with the word Daddy. To me, I was quite happy with God being a cosmic cop who I could never ever live up to because he's so high and mighty and I always felt so bad. And the seven separation issues, very quickly, right, the, well, I'll, I'll say them, write them or hear the sermon later. Death, disease, divorce, distance, detachment, discernment, desert, desertion, sorry, and dishonor. They're the seven issues that the world faces uh, with fatherlessness that, that produces within us this orphan-hearted approach to life where we end up striving to please, striving for affirmation, but all the time feeling if our backstage was ever revealed, you'd reject me. So I have to keep the front stage going so well. Yet the truth is, God our Father wants to go backstage and deal with this garbage that many of us have had in childhood. I used to say to Margaret, I used to wish her dad was my dad. She'd got a great dad. Played football. He, he liked to go out for a pint of beer. He was a man's man. I wanted to be like Margaret's dad. Be my dad. You see, because my dad was mentally ill. When I was born 64 years ago, I know I don't look it, but I am 64 years of age. 1954, on July the 14th, when they slapped my little pink bottom. <laughs> and I cried for the first time. That's woke the back row up there. God bless you. I'm assuming you're praying for me on the back there. They slapped my little bottom and I came alive. And uh, my father, who was in the next room, who wanted to have a daughter, he'd got two sons. And he didn't want a daughter, and he was, all, he, was all, he, he was already emotionally ill. He did not want a son. He got, he got two sons. So the midwife came out and said, Mr. Pete, you've got a beautiful baby boy. My dad turned around, put his coat on, and walked out of the house. And for the first hour of my life, refused to look at me. And I believe that Satan operates in the most devious and dirty ways possible. And I believe, sown in my little newborn heart, at that moment, was the whole thing of orphanness. Which I've spent most of my life until 40 trying to deal with and cope with. So, there's just seven things. In the message, when Jesus is said by, um, God says to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I please, he honoured his boy. In the Message Bible, it says, you're the pride of my life. I never had that. Maybe you're a bit like me. Maybe you only got affirmation if you did well. 
Maybe it was completely withheld. Maybe your dad died. Maybe there was desertion. Maybe there was dishonor. I don't know. But I know for me, my teenage years, I turned to self-love. Because I didn't love myself, so I turned to pornography. And I turned to masturbation. And I turned to self-love. Because you see, I wasn't getting any love anywhere else. And I was painfully shy. I had a speech impediment. And the only person who I ever thought would ever love me was, love, was me. But I hated me. And then I became a Christian. Then I hated me more. Because I was still doing the things I shouldn't be doing. But now I know I shouldn't be doing them. And so I'm feeling even worse and even dirtier and even more shame on my life. And then I start to speak. And then I start to see on my front stage there comes an anointing and God begins to use me. And it's wonderful. But the issues in the past are there. We got married. And uh, after a couple of years being married, we wanted to have children. And uh, we, we, we were never fortunate to get children. More shame. When... Parents are saying, when are you going to make us grandparents? And being English, you never talked about these sort of issues. And so just internalize it. More shame, more guilt. Feeling worse about yourself. And produced within me a great fear of man. Fear was one of those big issues. I'm ahead of myself. But I want to just take this into a, a Bible story to try to give you a picture of an orphan heart within the scripture. To now, I'm not, I'm not just talking psychological stuff. I'm talking about the reality, and I don't think you have to go far to see this. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, in fact, we'll start with 2 Samuel chapter 4, just a couple of verses I want to read to you about a man called Mephibosheth. And as you'll see as I come to the end of the time that I have with you, Mephibosheth, the scholars believe, wasn't his name given to him at birth. We believe this name was given to him later in life, as you will see into the story. But there was a day when this young boy's life changed. He had a trauma. In my case, it started when I was born. For him, he was five years of age. He was the grandson of the king. His dad was the king in waiting. He'd got a life of privilege. Everything he wanted was his. He'd got an incredible future mapped out to him until one day everything changed. And it says this in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. One of those hard names to say. Everything is mapped out for a great life until one day. Trauma hits. Granddad, the power of the throne, the king, is killed. Awful news because there's danger. But it gets even worse. His own father is killed on the same day. Jonathan is killed. And news comes home that his whole destiny is now in tatters because the enemy's at the door. And as you probably know, in those days, what their enemy did when they came to conquer, they made sure they killed every descendant of the family so there couldn't be no one who could rise up and rebel against them. So they were coming to kill him as a five-year-old. And this day is traumatic Daddy's dead, granddad's dead, the, we've got to run away. The nurse picks him up and begins to run to escape. And in her panic, she drops him 
And somehow, I don't know whether they were broken or whatever, and they didn't mend, he fell, and suddenly he was crippled. And in Bible days, that's bad news. In Bible days, that means there is no health service, there's no artificial legs, there's no, no future. And he goes to a place called Lodibar. Interesting Bible names. Lodibar means dry and barren. He'd got all of this stuff that was so exciting in his future, but he ends up in a very low place, a very barren place. And you know, that's how I felt when I was 40 years of age. My front stage was okay, but I was living in Lodibar. I was living Monday to Saturday, Saturday, Sunday was the only day I came forward. Monday to Saturday, there was this whole stuff that was affecting my whole life. And my word, I felt barren. My word, I felt dry. My word, I felt in so many ways that things were not going as they should. One bad day, things fell apart. And you know, I can see... I've got a bit of paper in my Bible with 21 symptoms of an orphan heart. I haven't got the time to even begin to tell you them, but I can recognize some of them in Mephibosheth on this day to really, just to prove my point. And I want to just say to you again, this is a safe place. Because I'm not trying to disturb anybody, but I, I, I make no bones. I've got 30 minutes to try to get to your heart and to try to unpack something I've been walking in 24 years it's impossible unless the Holy Spirit engages. And I want to tell anybody who's had a tough life, anyone who's already feeling a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit on edge, where are we going with this? Because we're talking very honest. Um, it's great you can be honest. I won't be back for three years, so it's, it's, I can just be honest. You'll forget me the time I come back, if I ever come back. Just mentioned six or seven things here that are on that list that I can see in this man's life very quickly. In Mephibosheth, first of all, there was the, the, the shame. He used to be somebody. He used to be somebody. You know, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I've made a mistake. Shame says, I'm a mistake. Big difference. Big difference between guilt and shame. And so this boy who's lived for 20 years in a low and barren place is going to become before the king, the place that should have been his. He should, he should have been David if things had worked out. And he's, you can just feel as he's coming here, as, as we're going to read about this, he arrives and he takes a low place. Read these verses to you in chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And so he comes and uh, he says, at your service, in verse 6 and verse 7, he says, David says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Amazing statement, but see what an orphan heart response is. There's the great news. He's just got the greatest news, better than winning the lottery, Everything's going to be okay for the rest of his life. But Mephibosheth bowed down because he's used to a low position. He's used to being in low debar. 
He's used to being full of shame. He's used to being thing. And he comes and he bows down and he's just heard this great news. It's like he's not heard it because he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This was the boy who should have been the king. But you see, the shame has kicked in. And for me, when my dad didn't want me, when I grew up, all the things I've had got time, I was sexually abused by a member of my family. I had lots of things happen. My backstage is full of garbage, folks. My backstage has not been supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I've had tough stuff, you see, in the front stage. But let me tell you, there's been so much happened back here. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't make me sure I would be here. And in fact, without the revelation of this message to my heart, I would never have become a national leader within Elim. I would never be looking after 85 churches like I do now. I could not have emotionally handled it. I was struggling with one church. But shame. What's the second thing? Striving. Big issue with an orphan heart. See whether you can recognize the shame, your major thing. Do you hide all things away? What about striving? Please love me. Please like me. What do you want me to do? I'll be the best. You see, people with my spirit, as I had then, we didn't make good pastors because I wasn't leading as God told me. My, I wanted to please my church. I wanted you to love me. So if you wanted 30 minutes, I'll give you 30 minutes because I want Mike not to press the button and send me in the piranha tank. I want to be all things to all men. But you can't. But when you're striving, it's amazing. Out of the three of us, we were three boys. I was the best behaved. I achieved the best at school, best marked, because all the time I'm trying to get a father's acceptance. I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. And I don't realize what's happening. But I'm striving. I wonder whether I'm talking to any strivers in New Zealand or are you all as cool as you look? Are you all as laid back as you appear? But for me and a lot of the people in Britain, we strive. We strive for acceptance. We want you to say well done because we never heard well done from our fathers. What about rejection? The fear of rejection. If you know the real me, you'll reject me. So I present the person I think you want me to be. And several years now, which I'm assuming you're agreeing with me, that you, you just sometimes think, well, I, I need, they want me to be a certain type of person, so I will try to fit into the mold. And if the band requires rock and roll, well, I'm going to rock and roll, because that's front stage. But behind it, there's the fear that there's somebody else in the church who can play guitar better than you. The number of times I've had to deal, probably my number one problem in church life was worship teams. I'll tell you what the number one blessing in my churches were. The worship team. Number one blessing, number one problem. Because there's so much of this stuff goes on and the fear of rejection. Hiding. He went to hide in Lodi Bar hiding away, afraid to be the real self. He's of royal blood, but he's taking up the role of a servant. Do you try to hide, not to let people see the real you, hiding away? 
What about insecurity at your service? You know, the whole thing of insecurity has been a massive thing for me. I remember when we were courting, I was so fortunate. I got a beautiful girl to like me, and um, I felt so unworthy. She, she was from, I don't know what you're like in Auckland, but where we come from, there was like a, a rough side of town. Is where I came from. And then there was the, what we would call, posh side of town, where she came from. And my mother, who, as you know, mothers are always right, my mum said to me, son, stay this side of the brook. Don't go that side where those posh people are. They're all snobs. Well, one day I went over there, and I found out they may be snobs, but they're the world's greatest kissers. Oh! And I got over that very quickly. And it's just astonishing to see. But when we were courted, I was... We had one big argument, because I was... It's so insecure, I wanted to keep Margaret so close to me because I thought I'd lose her and she'd find some posh bloke over here who was probably a teacher or something really important and tall and good looking and she wouldn't go for me anymore and it caused so much tension in our courtship because I was so insecure and as a pastor you're only as secure as your last Sunday and I can remember the times when I'm getting all stressed I would say to Margaret we were only one week away from the church falling. There was five people less. We'd gone from 40 to 400, but the week there was 350, oh, decline set in. It could be the end of the world as we know it. Talk about misinterpreting things, and then fear, big thing. 366 times in the Bible that says, Bible says fear not. Let's turn to some good news. Last page of notes to give you help. David said four things to him. And I believe God's saying four things to you today. And by all means, write them down. But I just say it again. I'm asking you to just let this go to your heart because some of you need to let this into your heart and start the journey. I am not making any claims that you'll solve it. This process took me from 40 to 45 of opening up my heart to all my garbage to some very safe people to talk through the issues of shame and abuse, etc. But David said four things in verse 7. He says, first of all, don't be afraid. What's the thing that closes our heart down most to the Holy Spirit? You see, there are two voices in the spiritual world operating right now. There is the Father of love that I'm trying to portray to you in this just brief 30 minutes. But in John 8, verse 44, Jesus talks about Satan, who's the father of lies. And I've discovered something as I've traveled the globe. The average Christian, in my humble opinion, seems to more easily hear the father of lies than they do the father of love that tells you you're special. Because I see people in church after church who feel disqualified from their destiny because of things that they've done in their... I'm divorced. And it was my fault. God's done with me. Rubbish. Anyway, I haven't got time to go there. Don't be afraid. And he says that I will show you kindness. Can I say to you today, that word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. It's the same word we get the word grace from. 
And David says to this crippled man, I want to show you kindness. God brought me here to this city church today to say to Elim City Church, God is kind. And he wants to show you kindness. And you may have been abused like me. You may have been rejected. You may have had a dad who dishonored you. You may have had a dad who deserted you. You may may have had a dad who died. You may have had a bad role model. But God says, I want to show you kindness. I want to show you kindness. It's even better. He then says, I will restore your land. And I've discovered since I got into this message, not only has God made my backstage better, he's given me the most amazing life that we could possibly have ever had. We have traveled the world. God's favor has been upon us. Yesterday, they put us into that lovely hotel on the seafront. Forget what it's called. It used to be called the Copthorne. But my word, it's posh. Margaret was really at home. <laughs> she said, I deserve this. I'm so, I, I'm so unworthy to be in... No, God's just been so amazing. We've traveled. Went out last night with a meal with Bob. he's restored everything I ever lost in my youth and childhood and in my 20s. And I want to tell you, if you're prepared to deal with your heart, let God come backstage. The good news is he wants not only to just heal your heart, he wants to give you and restore everything that was supposed to be yours in the first place. That's amazing. That's so amazing. My earpiece has fallen off. And then he says, you will eat at my table. What he's saying is, Mephibosheth, come to the family table. Where's the place where the family meet most? At the table. If we go to the New Testament, we could talk about the prodigal son who got a robe and a ring. God is in the business of restoring you to the family. Yes, Lord? You need to finish in four minutes. I'm nearly there. I'll just come to the edge. In case the tank opens, I'll come on the edge. You know, I need to close in just two minutes. If this is tickling you in terms of knowing you need, let me tell you, start to go onto the website, get some books about the Father Heart of God that will take you deeper into this message. As I said, it's impossible. I'm just like doing a scattergun approach. But there may be one God wants to do a mighty work in in the last few minutes. And I'm down to the last page of my things. I've got down here. How do we actually apply this today? One, you've got to recognize your heart. It took me 40. And Jack Frost, who's a writer on the Father Heart of God, he wrote in one of his books, sometimes you have to hurt so much you have no choice but to change. And I hit that, I hit that pain barrier. And I thought, I cannot go on in ministry any longer without dealing with my heart. Only you know your heart. Only you know if some of the symptoms I spoke about went, oh, me, me, me. When I first heard about this message in my 40s, and there was a list, and I recognized nearly about 18 of the 21 things were in my life. And I thought, Houston, we have a problem. Only you can recognize your heart. Second thing, very big, is you've got to release those who've hurt you. I had to release very much my dad, in my case, many, many times. 
then you've got to receive that kindness. Lord, please let your grace, your hesed, I give you permission to come into my heart. And I'm going to take a big risk, God, and I'm going to start to let these issues come back because what happens is you start to cry and you start to feel a bit panicky. And so what you do as a man is you press them down again because you can't deal with the uncomfortable, particularly men. But if you can just receive the kindness, because I'm telling you, God's kindness is over this house today. How does that happen? Well, you receive that by the Holy Spirit. And then the final thing is you begin to rebuild. I now know, even though my earthly father rejected me, I know that when I was born on July the 14th, 1954, when my dad headed south, I now know in my Noah that my father in heaven looked down and he decreed that I would be born a boy. And he decreed that over my life was going to be a sense of God's greatness. And he was going to take something that was shy, stuttering, fearful, afraid, full of shame and guilt and all of this stuff. And he was going to turn it around. And if he can do it for me, Auckland City, he can do it for you. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. Just welcome you, Holy Spirit, just at the end of this very short time together. And Lord, I know the eternal truth of this message is almost impossible. If I had a four-day seminar, we still couldn't bottom this out. But I'm trusting you by your Spirit right now just to come. And folks, as our eyes are closed, With that, there is no time to call anybody forward. I'll gladly pray at the end with anybody along with my wife. But there needs to come sort of a, a recognition. And you know, folks, I know you've put the lights out, but I wonder if, if we could just put the lights back up just for a moment, because I, I want to make an appeal, and I want to be able to see you. Could you just put the lights back on, whoever controls the lights, just so I can see the people in, in the audience. Here's what I'd like to... Lovely. I'm not even going to get, get you put your hand up, but I would ask you to close your eyes because I don't want to embarrass anybody. And I know for me this journey is one I started in private because it's very private to let God backstage. But if through the foolishness of preaching, God is speaking to you, in a moment what I'm going to get you to do, I, I was going to get you to look at me, but I can't see all of you, so I want to, I'll have to, we'll have to go with the hand. As our eyes are closed, if you really feel this morning God is speaking to you, don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm just trying to say there's a journey. For me, it started at 40. For those of you under 40, for God's sake, start it now. But for those of you who are 80, it's not too late. If God is speaking to you and you recognize some of those symptoms, would you do something for me? Would you just lift your hand so I can see it then put it down again thank you although all over here don't be embarrassing no shame no shame no shame in the house no shame in the house if you put your hand down because of shame you, you listen to the wrong voice God is here he wants to show you kindness 
wants to show you kindness, Grandma. Wants to show you kindness, church. Okay, put your hands down again. I want to pray over you and for you. Father, I just pray what I've just shared with these people right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would come. I don't know what it was that caused their issues, Lord. I don't know those things that affected them, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that they would just recognize their own heart right now. And in Jesus' name, for those who are brave enough to let you come backstage, Lord, we just say, access all areas. Start the process. We are not prepared to go on any longer with an orphan-hearted approach to life. It's crucifyingly hard when we don't feel your love. And we can never perform. And there's so much fear. And Father, we make a choice this morning to release those who have hurt us. Father, I spent two years forgiving my dad for a thousand different issues. And Lord, it could be a mother, it could be a teacher, could even be a pastor we have to receive, have to release. And Father, I just pray right now that we will receive your hesed. The kindness of God, Lord, you are a kind God. And I pray, Lord, that you would release your hesed, your grace over the lives of these people. And by your amazing grace, a journey that we think is impossible will begin to happen as we choose to forgive and release we pray we receive your grace and i'm praying lord if you spare us for a couple of years and if lord in a couple of years time sometimes our lives reconnect i pray sons and daughters of god will come to me in the city church auckland or somewhere over new zealand and say i was there and i started the journey that day i started the journey that day in that church and i want to tell you it's gone from my head to my heart. It's gone backstage. And I want to tell you, I no longer live my life as a slave, but I'm now a son and a daughter. And my backstage is the same as my front stage. Seal your work now, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for your patience. I want to say to every person who uh, raised their hand, sometimes we can feel like, well, what did that actually do? But you've got to understand something. See, every person has to respond to God. And as much as Kevin saw you, far more importantly, God saw you. God saw you having the courage to say, you know what, I think that's me. I think this is the start of my journey. I think this is where God is calling me. I think this is all about me. You know, Zacchaeus, had to, had to take a step towards God. Something inside him made him climb that tree. Bartimaeus had to throw off his cloak and move towards God. There was something inside him that had to take action. The woman with the issue of blood, she just had to do something and press through. And it was her faith who drove her to that place. And I'm telling you, every time we lift our hand, every time we, we take a step forward, every time we respond, the power of God begins to flow into our lives. And I absolutely believe without any hesitation that the power of God is beginning to work in your life this morning. And you know, I know for every one of us here who felt that but didn't have the courage to do it, you need to understand it's never too late. And when you just stand and when in worship and you lift your hands and you're saying, God, even though 
Pastor Kevin didn't see this, even though nobody saw this, God, I'm lifting my hand now for that call that he made before because, God, I've got to be on this journey as well. God, would you heal my heart? So come on, church, let's stand together this morning. We're going to sing this in worship, and I want you to declare in your life the healing of God, the love of God the Father, the kindness of God toward you, that your future is not defined by your past and you have a faithful dad in heaven who is so proud of you so looking out for you so moving towards you so reaching out for everything that you have that's who he is that's who he is for me that's who he is for you come on we're going to worship him this morning as we close from beginning to the Pastor Kevin shared that I just knew we needed to hear it. I knew I needed to hear it again. I knew you needed to hear it. So I just encourage you that that'll be up on our website. Go and check it out. Listen to it again. Let the truth of those words sing into your heart. It will change your life forever. Amen. Well, visitors, we'd love you to come and swing by our guest table this morning. We'd love to shout you a coffee, uh, get to know you a little bit. That'll be fantastic. Don't forget next week, we are going to be so blessed to have Phil and Desiree Thompson sharing with us about how to reach the next generation. You're going to be so blessed. We love you guys. Have a fantastic week. And we'll see you back next week. And look, if there is anybody here who has just been so deeply touched this morning, you'd love some prayer. We'd love you to come up. The band are going to keep playing. Pastor Kevin and Margaret are going to stand here for a while. Our ministry team are going to be here. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like to get a real breakthrough, then why don't you come back from your seat this morning and do that. Hallelujah. Thank you, team.